indeed sovereign over all things. God, you are good in all things, and your plan is indeed the best plan. So, Lord, I ask that you would anoint the lips of your servant so that I might be able to proclaim nothing but your truth. Fill me, Spirit, so that uh, we would be moved as we study the word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as I've traveled over the years and taken vacations, I've noticed with friends and family that there are two types of vacation planners. There's kind of a continuum, right? But there are two extremes. Now, on the one hand, if you're like my dad, you kind of like to show up, chill out, we're on holiday, we're on vacation, relax, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get up when we get up, we're going to sleep in, we'll find something to eat that looks good, whatever, just don't rush me, I'm on vacation, it's chill, I don't, know, I don't know what time anything happens, don't worry about it, this is vacation. Now some of you are like, yeah, I want to travel with that guy, that guy sounds like a good time, right? Others of you are like, oh, that stresses me out so much, we're going to miss out on everything, what are you talking about? You are on this other end of the spectrum, you are like my mother, and you best believe there are spreadsheets, there are Google Maps with uh, uh, items pinned, there are itinerary, itineraries. She knows two months from when she is going on vacation on day three, we are getting up at 6.45 because we have to take the 7.37 line one train, and if we don't make that, we're not gonna, you better not have to take a pee break because pee break was 10.15. We aren't taking another one till 11.45. Suck it up. Buckle up. We're on vacation. Some of you are like, yeah, let's do some of that. I love that. Then you know you've got everything planned to a T. This morning, James is talking to you right here. <laughs> if you love plans, it's going to feel like James is saying, have no plans in life. Zero plans. If you like making plans, you are a bad person. And then part two of our sermon, if you've got any type of money at all, bad, terrible, straight to hell immediately. If you leave this morning and you think to yourself, I got to have no plans in life and I have to have no money, I have not got done a good job because this morning I want, to, I want you to leave understanding that real faith is dependent. Real faith is dependent. It's not about the plans. It's not about the money, although we'll we're going to talk about that. Ultimately, it's about real faith being dependent. How does that, how does that work out? Let's go to our scripture this morning. James 4, 13 and 14 say, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Ouch! Ouch! Right? We tend to think of our lives as this such big, mon I mean, let's be honest, I don't know about you, but life is going to be the longest thing that I do. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's going to be the same for you too. Life is going to be the longest thing that you do this side of heaven. And it feels like such a long time. It feels like we're going to have so much time, so we got to make this, this, and this plan to maximize our time well. But James is reminding us that our lives are but a mist. 
Before God, our whole life is like a vapor, like nothing. So, what is the problem with planning? Planning happens all over the Bible. In fact, some of the Bible's best characters, people we hold up and esteem, call righteous, are great planners. Nehemiah, wonderful planner, excellent planner, right? Proverbs calls us to plan, right? Planning is wise. Jesus affirms this himself in Luke 14 when he, talk, when he talks about building a house. It would be dumb not to plan, he says. The wise people plan. So what is at the heart of the issue that James is getting at? Notice the words, again, with the nuance, Lester, but it's important. It says, uh, come now, you who say, this is hypothetical, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there, trade, and make a profit. What's so wrong with doing business? The point here, and the big thing that we should key in on in that statement, is make a profit. That is the ultimate end and goal of the plan that this person is making, this hypothetical person is making. And that, James is saying, is short-sighted. That doesn't get uh, the big picture, because ultimately it is focused on financial gain. Now, if you're a financial planner or you're in any kind of banking, investing, or own any kind of business, I'm sure you have some kind of financial plan, not to lose money, but to make money. What is so wrong with making money? He goes on in verses 16 and 17, and he says, As it is, you boast in your arrogance... All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. He's leaning in here and he's saying, if all you're focused on in life is bettering your financial portfolio, if what you're focused on in life is making money, if what you're focused on in life is getting ahead, getting that more prestigious job, getting into that better program at school, getting into a be getting a better spouse, whatever it is, better a better boyfriend, better girlfriend, better friends all over the place, getting into that, uh, getting, uh, I don't know, beautiful vacations, all of those things are short-sighted, and what they reveal are, are self-centeredness and pridefulness. It reveals a heart issue. Notice he says, whoever knows the right thing to do. He's talking to Christians here. He's talking to people who have said, Lord, I am a sinner. I am dependent on you for my salvation. I have sinned. I have fallen short of the glory of God, whose standard is perfection. I need Jesus Christ to die for my sins. I am going to acknowledge him as Lord and Savior of my life, but then I'm going to turn around and be focused on financial gain. He's talking to these people, right? How can we say that God is Lord of our lives and go and make plans that have nothing to do with God. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? And then going on from there, how do we make plans that are gospel-centered? How do we make plans that are shaped and molded 
by God? How do we plan like Nehemiah? How do we plan like the wise man in Luke that Jesus talks about? How do we plan the Proverbs way? James talks about this. He says in verse 15, Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Beautiful. If the Lord wills, we will, and we live, we will do this or that. So, Lester, what are you saying I should do? It, like, every time I make a plan, I go like, okay, Jesus, if, you're, if it's your will, I'm going to do A, B, C. Done. All my plans submitted to God. Perfect. No. It goes a whole lot deeper than that. I love this key phrase right here. He says, if the Lord wills, we will live. I love that. He's getting down to the very core and saying, all of me depends on you for my next breath. All of my plans, none of it happens unless you supply the breath. Unless you, O oh Lord, provide for me, I am wholly dependent upon you. So nothing is going to happen without you, Lord. How does this look? What does this look like? It looks like when we make plans, we reflect inward, upward, outward. This is the most important part of making plans. Okay, maybe you want to write it down, maybe not. But it's, it's about making plans that are inward, upward, and outward. What does that mean? First, when we look inward, when we make plans and look inward, we're asking ourselves, God, who have you made me? Where am I at right now? God, where have you led me to? Where have I come from? What are the responsibilities, Lord, that you have set before me in this moment right now? Who am I? According to you, God, who am I? That is the inward part of making a plan. Then we look upward. Based on the opportunities that, Lord, you have put before me, how am I to glorify you? Which one of these decisions will lead me into deeper worship of you? How are you calling me to bring you glory with my next steps? Finally, outward. Who are the people that God is calling me to reach? Who are the people, as you're making this plan, that we are supposed to reach? In this way, we are going to make plans that are shaped by who God is and who God is calling us to be and who God is calling us to reach. We make plans inwards, upwards, and outwards. After that, we evaluate. So, I don't know what this looks like for you, and it depends on what kind of plan you're making, but you should have, as you're making these plans, regularly scheduled reevaluations. If you're dealing with an addiction, it could be daily. If you're dealing with, I don't know, like 
spiritual disciplines, it could be weekly. If you're dealing with career, it could be five years. If you're dealing with your marriage, maybe it's every year you reevaluate these plans. But you go through this process again and say, did I fail? Did I actually meet the goals or did I fall short? If you failed at those goals, was it you? Did you fall short of what God was calling you to? Well, it's confession time, brothers and sisters. Or is it that God is moving in a different direction and you're still holding on to these plans thinking like, I'm going to do this despite whatever is going on around me, I'm going to do this. Or is God moving you towards a different opportunity? If you were successful, if you met the goals that you and God worked out uh, and you're on track, is it time that you set the bar higher? Right? God doesn't call us to continually clear the same bar year after year, season after season. If we take a look at Abraham's life, right, and his tests of faithfulness, first God calls him to move to a foreign country. Then he says, believe me, I am going to give you a son. Then he says, go ahead, sacrifice that son, and I will still provide for you. Right? There's that ever-increasing test of faith because faith is growing and that growth takes hard work. That work is hard. So, as you reevaluate your plan, I guess time's up for me. Um, as you reevaluate your plan, are, are you doing well? Are you, are you actually on track with what God has called you to? Is it you? Is it, is it God moving in a di- different direction? And then if you are on track, is God calling you to a higher, higher target, a higher goal? I think back last year uh, in August, I, uh, I and Renee and uh, Theo, we went on this cruise in, in Spain, and our plan was, I'm kind of like my mom, uh, we are overprepared, overpacked, and overplanned. Uh, our plan was, uh, we were going to go to Barcelona, hang out for a few days, uh, you know, of course there's an itinerary, at the end of those few days, we were going to take a taxi and get on a cruise, you know, have a nice little cruise, and then come home. So, uh, yeah, I pre-ordered the hotels, I pre-ordered the taxi, even from the cruise ship to the, to the, or from the hotel to the cruise ship, so on and so forth. I have my bags numbered, I know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven bags, uh, Theo's here, this, that, and the third. I got my, all my documents in order. And so we get uh, on the taxi, get dropped off at the cruise terminal, uh, we get through all of this, like, difficult, like, checking us in, getting to the room, finding the room, and finally we're in the room, and we're settled down, and we're like, ah, yes, made it, success, my plans worked, got them. And Renee turns to me and goes, hey, uh, could you give me Theo's bottle? And I'm like, perfect. It's in the diaper bag, which is... Didn't you have the diaper bag? What? You had the diaper bag. I don't have the diaper bag. Who has the diaper bag? Right? And what had happened is we left the diaper bag on the taxi. That thing is gone. See ya. What follows is weeping, gnashing of teeth, crying, complaining, worrying, all coming from, not Theo, me and Renee, of course. Because Theo... He could care less. He is wholly dependent on his parents to provide for him. Whereas we are like, oh my goodness, uh, who am I going to depend on? All I have is me, right? All I have is me to provide for this child. 
What we lost sight of there is Theo's faith in us and our faith that needed to be in God. We got through that trip just fine. So what? We're down half, a, half of our stock on diapers. People live in Spain, you know. You can buy diapers. So what if his favorite toy was in the diaper bag? The, man, the guy plays with forks and spoons. It'll be fine. You know, we can buy another bottle. P- people have babies in Spain. Did you know this? You can just buy another bottle. It's okay. It's just a backpack. It's going to be okay. But isn't that oftentimes what it feels like when we make these plans and then this little piece goes wrong? There is wailing, weeping, of, uh, weeping, gnashing of teeth, and you go, God, why? Why? Why didn't this work out? And God is saying to you, depend on me. Make a plan that is inward, upward, outward. Reevaluate it and see where I'm leading you. Relax going to be okay. So, moving on from there, part two. This is going to feel a little bit disjointed, but that's okay. You'll see how the themes connect as we, as we kind of tie these two verses together. He goes in on the rich people. He says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Ouch. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Wow. Wow, he's going in on rich people. If you have money this morning, cool. I looked up this morning, by the way, if if your net worth is north of $800,000, you're in the top 10% globally. $800,000, $800,000, like a single bedroom apartment in Toronto costs like six, 600, 650, I don't know. Literally, like a lot of us in here are in the top 10%, so ouch. Um, he's saying that all of these things, uh, does it, or is he saying that all of these things, these, this wealth or these riches, is that going to lead to our demise? Is, that, is, is having money a problem? Is that, is that what James is saying? Well, no, look at the Old Testament characters. Look at some of the great, again, look at some of the greatest Old Testament characters in the Bible, right? We have guys like Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, Boaz, Job, David, Solomon. Man, these guys had fat stacks, stacks, so much money. So how are these guys counted righteous? Again, it's in the details. It says in verse 4, Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Again, this is, a, this is revelation or revealing of a heart posture that is solely focused on financial gain. It's focused on making sure that I have enough to be comfortable. It's focused on making sure that I make enough money so that I have all the things that I not just need but want. 
First, James reminds us in verses 1 to 3 that wealth is temporal. All of these things, when you die, that you've accrued, you are going to leave behind. All of the wealth is going to be for naught when you die. When Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk dies and I die, our net worth is going to be the same. Zero. Nothing. Nothing. Right? So why are you worshiping? Why are you idolizing what God has blessed you with instead of the person who has delivered this blessing? We have instead worshiped or worshiped the blesser or we have instead worshiped the blessing instead of the blesser, if that makes sense. Second of all, it is revealing of a heart of greed, self-dependence, and exploitation. Notice how it is uh, this rich person who is withholding fair wages. It's the person who is uh, not just, uh, in that last line it says, uh... You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. What he's meaning to say there is you have exploited their labor, right? Where they have nothing, you have taken that and you have taken that from them to even benefit yourself. It goes beyond just having money. So how do we have money in a manner that is dependent on God? Because real faith is dependent. How do we have money and say, God, you come first. How do we have money like Abraham had money? How do we have money like David had money or Job had money? How do we do that? How are we wealthy? Why does God give us all this wealth? How are we supposed to steward this? I think back to the story in Genesis 4 of Cain and Abel. Remember this story, right? Cain and Abel are uh, the first two sons of Adam and Eve. And when it comes time to offer uh, a sacrifice to worship God, uh, Cain brings some of his fruit, right, from the garden. And Abel brings his firstborn from the flock. And God is displeased. God is angry with Cain for his offering. Now, is this because God hates vegetables? God just, like, he's on a carnivore kick, he's on a carnivore diet, and, like, vegetables, disgusting, right? Or is it because, like, oh, uh, animals are so much more valuable than vegetables? Or, like, uh, shepherding is a more valuable job than farming? So, like, Cain, I don't know, do something better, because, no. The key is that Abel offered of his firstborn, Cain offered of some of the fruit of his labor. There's a subtle difference here. Abel, when he brings his offering, because it is the first, he's saying to God, the very firstborn, I don't know if I'm going to have any more offspring in this flock. No idea. But I am going to sacrifice it first, trusting God that you will provide more. He prioritizes his worship and his tithing first. It comes first, and he is dependent on God for all of the other things he needs. Cain, on the other hand, he's got to make sure that everybody's fed. He's got to make sure that he has enough to eat. He's got to make sure that his crop is good. And out of that abundance, 
Then he says, oh, God, thank you for all of these things. But first, let me take care of me. It's the same way, friends, with our finances. God has blessed us with an abundance. We live in Canada. You have abundance. And what he's saying to you is, are you going to prioritize me with the financial blessings I've given you? Do you tithe first and trust that God will provide all that you need? Or do you take care of all that you need and maybe a little bit of what you want, then tithe out of that? Which of those is you? That's at the core. It's not about how much money you have, but rather your heart posture towards the money that you have. So friends... Real faith is dependent. And if you make plans, I love that. Let's make gospel-centric plans that are inwards, upwards, and outwards. Let's depend on God when it comes to our tithing. It comes first. And trust him to provide all that we need. Let's pray. Father, you have given us Indeed, all that we need. Indeed, all of our days are in your hands. So, Lord, we submit ourselves before you. We humble ourselves knowing that you ultimately will provide. We worship you and thank you for your word. Change us and mold us by it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.